Welcome back to another episode of Heavy Board Presents Jerk Shop. I'm Andrew Wittstadt, and I'm joined today by Valerie Lute. You may have remembered her from last episode with the Hemingway. Well, she's here to talk all things workshop, MFAs, uh, writing, literature, the creative writing world in general. Uh, Valerie, thank you for being here and doing this. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I always like to start off with just kind of give listeners a little bit of your background with MFA and writing workshops. So I, I took, you know, some creative writing classes in in undergrad. And I think that what writing workshops, I think, are probably most helpful for beginner writers. It seems like there's kind of a diminishing returns in workshops, I think. Yeah. And I was not planning on getting an MFA. I remember in my last year, a friend of mine showed me the movie Wonder Boys, and she was like, Oh, you need, to, you need to see this so you're prepared for grad school. And I was like, I'm not going to grad school. Uh. And then you know, I graduated and in 2010, and the economy was still really bad. And I think I didn't have a very good advisor. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I guess I, after I graduated, I actually talked to somebody in the communications department at my college and he was way more helpful than my advisor ever was <laughs> i wasn't even a student anymore you know like, right so heavy bored heavy i am heavy 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 bored retail and my poor professor was like oh you should get an mfa because it will open doors for you and i wouldn't be where i was you know and i just you know i didn't know what to do it was about economy i was kind of you know floating around so i thought uh, yeah I'll, I'll apply and yeah I, I don't think i i don't think i put a lot of thought into what i wanted out of it you know if you're going to get an mfa i think you should have a have a clear <laughs> have a clear uh, plan than I did. Yeah, and it was also just very different than what I expected. Maybe I should have done more research. I chose the program because the program I chose I chose because you could do dual genres. I was doing fiction and nonfiction initially because I thought that they would have helpful information in their nonfiction program about publishing. I was interested in literary journalism, like Susan Orlean sort of stuff. Awesome. But they were not really interested in that kind of writing. They actually canceled their literary journalism class that they used to offer. And it was just very memoir heavy. This was when that trend started, right? Yeah. 
I had a friend who was a year behind me in the program and she was in a class with the, the program director and the program director you know, didn't like my friend's work because it was all like research based. Right. And there was sort of a little bit of a first person framing to some of them. And in one of those essays, she mentioned having a fight with her boyfriend. The professor was like, oh, you should really focus on the fight with your boyfriend. <laughs> Not in her. Her thesis was an essay collection about boom bus towns in Pennsylvania. Wow. Which I thought was really cool. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah. Uh, it was much more cool to me than like a 22-year-old talking about a fight with her boyfriend. Right, yeah. <laughs> Especially if you... I grew up in there on that area. I grew up in Maryland, Baltimore, Maryland. And then like... So Pennsylvania was, you know, 40-minute drive. And you get over to most of those Pennsylvania... York, you know, Lancaster and all those. That would have been great, yeah very interesting type of yeah literary journalism kind of in like and i i like that you mentioned that it was kind of when that memoir trend was starting that we're all still living through here where only memoir it's basically memoir and political nonfiction and stuff is like all that's allowed uh in the nonfiction side of things and it, it's i guess it i like that you mentioned expectations too where where i think that is a we haven't talked about it yet on this podcast at least especially this segment where when you go into these programs and you have these expectations of what it will be, and then there's, I've had a conversation with a lot of people about this, where there is a kind of disappointment. You're like, wait a minute, this is it? You know, like, this is it? I thought this was, you know, you were literally choosing a mentor and they were hand selecting you and they were going to walk you through this process and help you, you know. Uh, yeah, I, it gets to that point where, I, I don't know. I mean, we we... I was thinking about this in terms of, of, yeah, why does almost everybody that goes to an MFA feel this in some way? And even people that I've had in the one that I were in my cohort that I went with, and they, you know, some of them successful. I have friends that have books out on major presses, like after the MFA, and they still have these same things to say. You know, like they still have this kind of, mm, it wasn't quite what I was expecting. It wasn't quite that has helpful in parts, you know, not because I think there's helpful parts, parts too, which we'll get to, but it, yeah, there is this kind of, maybe it's a sales tactic. I've said that before. Like maybe it's, they try to sell you that kind of fantasy of being a professor and writer where you get to, yeah, teach and read and write all day. And that's like, yeah, that would be a great life. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it doesn't really happen. And I like that you said too, with this, uh, this, um, not like having a plan, like kind of why we went to MFAs. Like I didn't even know MFAs existed until, yeah, like last year of undergrad, I had, you know, a good mentor in undergrad that kind of took me under her wing. And then she started uh, telling me, you know, oh, you could go do this in grad school, you could go pursue this and it could be a terminal degree and you could get a job and you could, you could open doors in that world and, and network and all that. And before that, I'd never even heard of it. Like, I was like, oh, you could do that? Like, and you could get a master's in literature, but a master's in, like, creative writing, and and then it qualifies you to teach, and, yeah, having those plans. But, like, your experience, like, this was, yeah, you said kind of post-financial crisis, 2008 and all that, and and you went into MFA. You said you took you worked a couple years? 
after undergrad? I graduated in December of 2010, so I was really only off for one semester. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I had a hard time getting in, and uh, they uh, they took like it took a couple times to apply for me to get into some of these programs. So I worked for a year after undergrad, just bullshit. Yeah, like retail jobs, you know. Uh, wrote some copy for marketing and things, and then just applied again because I was like, "This sucks, this sucks." And I, you also mentioned this idea of <clears throat> workshops are beginner level. They are, they are beginner level creative writing and there is a point and I, and we haven't talked about this yet on this, this segment and I want to get into it with you. Yeah. Where you, uh, you do outgrow them where the, where they do become more harmful sometimes than they are helpful, uh, after a certain point, I'm not saying you can do this right away. I think I would have been worse if I didn't sit through a lot of workshops, you know, I'll be the first to admit that. Uh, but then you do reach a point, like after so many years, especially how long was your program for MFA? Was it one year, two year, three year, four? It was two years, although I did it in two and a half. Okay. And that's pretty standard. Yeah. Like a two year is pretty standard. Mm -hmm. The one year they call it like a accelerated or something. And I went to a three year, but it was a dual degree. It was like, I, so I was taking basically two master's degree programs where it was, mm -hmm doing the master's in literature and then the MFA at the same time. So of course that takes three years. If you're going to do that, <clears throat> I saw what was it like Arkansas or something had like a, has like a four year MFA program. Like, oof, you're not getting a PhD at the end of that. Like <laughs> four years for an MFA. That is long, oof. but they had a good program, I guess. Yeah. I think uh, a lot of, a lot of good people went to that one. So you hear that, listeners. Valerie's been there. She's done that. She's been through these things. You've been writing since then, right? Like you've been kind of dabbling with it, your website and your uh, articles. and. Yeah, I. it's getting harder for me to keep putting the effort in because I, it's just very discouraging. You know, my my best genre, the genre that I excel the most at is a literary the literary short story which is really a dying genre and i'm just very frustrated with the i guess the lack of um innovation in the literary publishing world i think a lot of literary journals they're just kind of doing what everyone else is doing they're not really trying to get an audience you know i went to awp last year or this year and I went to this panel on starting a literary journal and the panelists were literally bragging about not knowing how much web traffic their journal gets. Wow. Like they're like, oh yeah, I don't even keep track of that. What's hmm, you knowing who's reading your your website. As I say, that tells uh, like, listeners you can tell the seriousness of AWP uh, <laughs> with the, with that story. Yeah, who they put on their panels and who they allow yeah to uh, be propped up as experts. Yeah, I share that. I think it's how you and I connected too. Where we started, we started chatting about this. This this there is a lack of innovation, and everybody blames it on the technology and the changing in culture and things. And yes, that's happening. But you know this business has survived multiple changes in publishing and like technology. What are we doing? And yeah, I see very little 
and I, it's hard, you know, let's be fair. It's hard. It's hard to run a journal. It's usually a labor of love unless you have backing from a university, you know, endowment. It's hard to stay afloat too. Uh, that's why only ones that are still around are the ones that are backed by, yeah, an MFA program and have like university funds to put behind the magazine because it's a, you're going to lose money doing it. Or like Poetry Foundation or a big foundation that, again, has a lot of money to prop it up because it's not going to be making profits off of sales of the actual journal. And then you think the web traffic. Yeah, like this kind of it's so DIY, like everything about this field has become so DIY that you know, if you're not doing it on your own, like if you're not like Valerie out there doing your own blog, like your own website, if you're not out there doing your own podcast, your own Substack, whatever it is, like these, these, these independent avenues for, for creatives to, and it's much harder to go the independent route because you have to build that audience one person at a time. And yeah, you know, that takes years listeners. And I know it's, it, it's not what a lot of people want to hear. It takes a long time to build an audience on your own without the backing of a major institution or a magazine or, or a publishing house <clears throat> that can give you marketing and stuff. And it's even that, like I have friends that had books published by major, major presses. I'm talking like Harper Collins major and they received nothing. Like they received no marketing. They received nothing like to help prop that book up for sales and I am just kind of looking around going, is everybody just giving up? Like, is everybody just thrown in the towel at this point? And we think that... Well, how it works with the major presses is they kind of choose which books they're going to promote and the others they're just going to take a loss on. Right. They kind of pick the winners ahead of time, which is part of why that book, American Dirt, received the backlash that it did. I think that... You know, people were saying, people were intentionally giving an uncharitable charitable reading to that book. This was the book about a middle-class Mexican woman who has to migrate across the border. Yeah, the cartel after. And a lot of people yeah. were intentionally giving an uncharitable reading. But the, the fact is that this woman had... She had published in previous books and she, you know, she had this manuscript, I guess. The publisher decided, you know, she has a track record of publishing and we know her already. And this is like a hot topic. So let's make this the buzz book of the year. Right. So they got on an Oprah, they got all this marketing for it. And then people were like, well, why is a white woman getting all this. <laughs> and I think it had more to do with her, the fact that she was already in the industry and well-connected than her race in particular. But, you know, I'm sure the, the fact that she, you know, was in those rooms to begin with and all that, but she, I, I mean, it was just, it was just pre, it was just pre-selected as a winner because right because of who she was and because it was a timely topic and then it got the back the huge backlash yeah but, and i saw some of that like kat rosenfeld uh had a great piece the uh the again novelist and journalist there kat rosenfeld she's great on twitter if anybody follows her 
she like wrote a piece when this all the hoopla was starting around that book, The American Dirt mm-hmm. specifically. And she said, you know what she kept seeing? And she's involved in the industry. She publishes her novels. She was saying, it's a lot of professional jealousy pretending to be like serious kind of social justice criticism where it's this this woman and, and Janine Cummings for that book listeners if you don't know she got a very large advance unheard of advance like top one percent of one percent because like Valerie said she was in the industry she had her first couple books you know they're page turner kind of thriller books so they do okay they don't do great they do okay this one was timely it was a good topic uh, you know, she probably had a good agent that pitched the book for her. And then <clears throat> I think they gave her like a seven figure deal because it was, they sold the book rights and the movie rights at the same time. That's the only reason it got that big, like seven figures yeah. listeners. It will never get that big for most writers, even Stephen King and stuff like, but it, and, and then that people got upset at that. They got really pissed. It's mm-hmm. like, how dare this woman get money for writing a story that what they would say is it wasn't hers to tell, right? Because she wasn't sufficiently Hispanic and we had to pull out the, uh, the NPR had to do like a whole segment on her genealogy and lineage <laughs> and like how far back like she had like Hispanic grandparents or something. And uh, it was just this weird kind of... Um, <laughs> it is almost kind of like a weird race science when they start doing like that. Well, your grandparent was uh, from Costa Rica or something, but you don't have the authority to do it. It's okay. Yeah. Hey, would you believe there's still an extra hour of conversation left? Well, there is. And if you want to hear the full uncensored episode, you need to subscribe at patreon.com slash heavy board, where you will receive full uncensored episodes like this without any interruptions, ads, or anything else. And that's for subscribers only at patreon.com slash heavy board. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe today and join the conversation. Heavy board. I am heavy, heavy, heavy board. Sweats and the day sweats, pal. Pal, I do.